We live in the moment. That's where we live. We're going to have an election. You probably heard something about it. I don't know. They're encouraging all of us to vote early, and I like that idea. Uh, So I just want to encourage you as a Christian, be engaged with culture and uh, vote your biblical values and um, have lots of honoring political conversations with your friends. There's a lot of people that are really upset that I don't get up and talk about politics in the pulpit. Frankly, I think you've got enough to figure out with Jesus from, to hear me about politics. But if you want to talk about politics, I will talk to you one-on-one about politics all day long. I love talking about it. I'm not afraid of it. I love learning from people that don't always see things the way that I see them. And I think it's a great, great thing for us as Christians to learn how to love others and listen even when we vehemently disagree. So we're going to have a vote. And this is all about checks and balances. I've been learning a little bit about George Washington and reading a, a biography of his. And he warned us when he was going out of office, do not get into this partisan thing. It's going to go sideways. Well, he was right. But there are checks and balances put in place in our system here in the U.S. And Let me tell you, this is not the first time checks and balances have been put into place. Would you believe that God actually put checks and balances into the Torah, into his plan for how his people would be led? So I want to show you 48 second clip of Samuel the prophet confronting a leader of a nation, Saul, and getting in his face a little bit. Take a look. Samuel! You are a prophet, but I am your king. What the Lord gives, he can take away. Are these God's words or yours? Your descendants could have ruled for over a thousand years. But today, God has forsaken you. More divine words. God has torn your power from you. He wants a man after his own heart. Can you imagine if every leader, political leader from the state level, the local level, and and the national level had a Samuel in his ear or her ear, you know, just saying, nope, that is not right. Man, I would love to see that. That's because I long for heaven and the government will, is on Jesus' shoulders. But more about that later. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the Bible. We're doing an overview of the Bible we're calling the big picture. Experiencing the whole story of the Bible. Why is this important? Because we want you to learn how to study the Bible. And many of us don't know how to do that. We're going to do that right after the first of the year in January and, and also in February. So Look forward to that. We'll do it right here in church. You don't have to go to some seminar. But that's why we're teaching you how to zoom out, understand the genre or the context, so that when we zoom in, we'll know we're interpreting the Bible correctly. And so as we're marching through, we've come to the genre of prophecy, of major prophets. So we're going to take two weeks. This week, we'll talk about the major prophets. Next week, the minor prophets. And at that point, we will have been all the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament with the Gospels the next week. Woohoo! Can't wait for Jesus. Um, 
We also have handouts. You perhaps saw them. It has a QR code on the handout as well as a QR code appearing right behind me right now. Thank you, Jared. And so if you want to be a part of live polling, you can scan this really quick with your smartphone. Click on the link. That'll take you to something. You don't have to register. You can accept cookies because they're safe and uh, you can take a part in this. By the way, if you're at home, sometimes there's a two to three minute lag depending upon your internet speed and streaming and buffering. So you can try to join us, um, but you may be answering the wrong question. Okay, um, let's watch movies, shall we? Get your popcorn out. We're gonna see a five minute Bible project video introducing us to the prophets and we'll go from there. Take a look. Ezekiel, Obadiah, Habakkuk. What do these names have in common? Well, they're three of the 15 prophets that have their own books in the Bible. And if you've tried to read these books, odds are you got lost in their dense poetry and strange imagery. But these books are super important for understanding the overall biblical story. So let's talk about how to read the prophets. When I hear the word prophet, I think of a fortune teller, someone who predicts the future. That's what being a prophet means in many cultures, but not in the Bible. While the biblical prophets sometimes speak about the future, they're way more than fortune tellers. How should I think about them? Well, they were Israelites who had a radical encounter with God's presence and then were commissioned to go and speak on God's behalf. Like a representative. Right. And the thing that they cared about the most is the mutual partnership that existed between God and the Israelites. Right, the partnership. God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt and invited them to become a nation of justice and generosity that would represent his character to the nations. And so this partnership required all Israelites to give their trust and allegiance to their God alone. In the Bible, this partnership's called the covenant. But the leaders, the priests, the kings led Israel astray and they broke the covenant. And so this is where the prophets came in, to remind Israel of their role in the partnership. And they did this in three ways. First, they were constantly accusing Israel for violating the terms of the covenant. The charges usually include idolatry, alliances with other nations and their gods, and allowing injustice towards the poor. Ah, so like covenant lawyers. Right. And so second, the prophets called the Israelites to repent, which means simply to turn around. They spoke of God's mercy to forgive them if they would just confess and change their ways. But Israel and its leaders didn't change. Things went from bad to worse. And so that brings us to the third way the prophets emphasize the covenant. They announced the consequences for breaking it, which they called the day of the Lord. Oh yeah, the apocalypse, visions of the end of the world. Well, sort of. The prophets were mostly interested in how God would bring his justice on Israel's corruption and on the violent nations around them. And while explaining these local events, they often used cosmic imagery. Cosmic imagery? Yeah, like Jeremiah. He described the exile of the Israelites to Babylon as the undoing of creation itself. The land dissolves into chaos and disorder, no light, no animals or people. Or Isaiah described the downfall of Babylon as the disintegration of the cosmos, stars falling from the sky, the sun going dark. For the prophets, when God acts in human history to bring justice, it's a day of the Lord. So the prophets aren't talking about the end of the world. Well, hold on, they're doing many things at once. The cosmic imagery shows how these important events of their day fit into the bigger story of God's mission to bring down every corrupt and violent nation once and for all. The prophets cared about the present and the future, and the cosmic imagery allowed them to talk about both at the same time. Got it. So no matter when you live, the day of the Lord's bad news if you're part of Babylon. But it's good news if you're waiting for God's kingdom. 
The day of the Lord pointed to the return of the exiles to Jerusalem. And once again, the prophets use cosmic poetry to describe it. They see a new Jerusalem like a new Garden of Eden, with all humanity living at peace with each other and with the animals. And there's a new messianic king who restores God's kingdom in a renewed creation. Beautiful. So those are the three themes in the prophets. These prophets must have been very powerful, persuasive speakers. Well, some were, but others lived on the margins. They would often perform strange symbolic stunts in public to communicate their message. Like when Ezekiel lay in the dirt and built a model of Jerusalem being attacked by Babylon. Or when Isaiah walked around naked for three years as a symbol of the humiliation of exile. So did people pay attention to them? Not really. The stories in these books show how the prophets were a minority group mostly shunned by Israel's leaders. And their writings were a kind of resistance literature. Most people ignored them, that is, until their warnings came true in the Babylonian exile. And after that, people began to take their words seriously. Yes, the works of these earlier prophets were inherited by later unnamed prophets who studied these texts intensely. They're the ones who arranged the Hebrew scriptures as we know them, including the books of the prophets. Okay, and there's 15 books of the prophets. The big three are Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then there's a collection of 12 smaller prophetic works unified on a single scroll. And in each of these books, you'll read stories about the prophets and their poems and visions, all arranged to show the cosmic meaning of Israel's history. How God would turn their tragic story of failure and exile into a story of hope and restoration for all nations. And it's that twin message of prophetic warning and of hope that the prophets cared about so much. And it's a message that we still need to hear today. Okay, so you're all experts on prophets now. So um, let me just describe for you briefly. There was a design with kings and prophets. And if you were to read 1st and 2nd Kings, you would see that the real authority is God's covenant. God's covenant is the real authority. And um, I explained this in our series lessons from three kings. And so what God is doing is he raises up a prophet to come alongside a king and partner with the king, if you will, as let's think of it as a check and balance to make sure that the king continues to be faithful to the covenant, to stick to it, an accountability partner, if you will. And so you could even think um, of first and second kings as first and second prophets versus kings, um, because there's always this idea when a new king comes up, a prophet is raised up or a group of prophets come to make sure that they hold that king accountable. And so in Jesus, the office of prophet and king actually come crashing together and make this beautiful picture. He's this beautiful picture as this prophet, priest, and king, but we'll leave the priests out for now. So it's a beautiful thing the way that this works. And that's a bit of what we're going to see with the prophets. And the Lord always has left a voice um, calling us back to his covenant. So what is a prophet, Tammy? So good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you here. And hi to those on the live stream. 
So we love that Bible Project video. We thought it was worth reviewing and repeating some of the stuff, and they were talking about what is a prophet. So it's someone who has had this radical encounter with God's presence, and God has commissioned them to be his mouthpiece. So they are speaking on behalf of God. They are God's representative. They are also what they describe like a covenant lawyer. So they are reminding the people of their role in the covenant partnership. And I really love, too, how the commissioning of the prophets points to the goodness of God. Because God wanted—he was speaking through them, right? He wanted people to have a right relationship with him. He wanted them to be in alignment with them. And so that's why he's calling them back to be in alignment. He doesn't want to have to pronounce this judgment. So I just think it shows God's mercy so much in that he did this. So the prophets— didn't just talk about the future. A lot of times we think of that, right? That it's just the future. No, they are talking about the past, and they are also talking about the present as well as the future. And there are some major themes that we see in the prophets. And so these were the, the main things they were doing. They were doing accusation, repentance, and then talking about God's judgment through the day of the Lord. And so in the accusation, this is the calling out of sin. And the two main things that they are calling the people out on is idolatry and injustice. So idolatry being obviously idol worship, covenant breaking, unfaithfulness to God, and then injustice being oppression of the people and not looking out for the vulnerable. And so they're accusing them of, that, of this, they're calling them into repentance to do that 180-degree turn and to walk differently, to be in alignment with God. But they're also going to talk about his judgment if they don't, right? And they talk about this day of the Lord, and they were mentioning it's not just necessarily one day, it's when anytime God is bringing in his justice. And in the covenant, there are really clear blessings and curses. And so even one of the things that is happening is that if they don't walk with God, the land will spit them out, right? They're going to go into exile. And the day of the Lord is either good news if you're following him or bad news if you're not. But judgment wasn't just on the people of Israel. It was also on other nations and especially the ones that had persecuted and gone after Israel. And he even, God even says that he's going to bring judgment on those nations that he uses as a tool of judgment. So for instance, Assyria was used as a tool of judgment on Israel. Babylon was used as a tool of judgment against Judah. But eventually Assyria and Babylon also have to answer to God. Thankfully, the prophets are not all doom and gloom, though. <laughs> they have a message of hope in them, and there's the promised restoration. And so we want to listen really, really closely for those messages of hope. And we also mentioned last week that and we were in the poetry section last week, that there's a lot of poetry in the prophets as well. The prophets are filled with imagery and all kinds of metaphors. So why should we read the prophets? Well, Give us the why. The why. Oh, why. I love the why, because then we have the buy-in as to why it's important, right? So we struggle with the same sins that the people were struggling with in, in those days. We, too, struggle with idolatry. We struggle with injustice towards other people. We also are subject to judgment if we lead unrepentant lives. And we also have the same hope. Now, we know that that hope, that hope for restoration, renewal, and rest is in Jesus. And if we read these carefully, we're going to see the prophets 
pointing to Jesus. Jesus himself said that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, right? We studied the law, those first five books. We want to study the prophets too because we want to know what they're even saying about Jesus so we can see when we get to the New Testament how he fulfilled that. And when we're talking about being subject to judgment, this is why I'm so thankful for Jesus who bears our sins in his own body and he dies on the cross to pay for our sins and give us the opportunity to live these cleansed lives and not face judgment. But instead, when the father looks at us, all he sees is the righteousness of Jesus standing in front of us, almost like a cardboard cutout, and we're hidden in Christ. I love that. So you're ready to do a little voting? So I'm going to activate this little thing right here. Now it should be ready to go. And there should be a question on your phone as well as on the screen here. Who were the four major prophets? Was it Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Was it John, Paul, George, and Ringo? Was it Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel? Was it Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Samuel? There's all kinds of voting going on. Nice job, everybody. I love the fact that you are getting involved here. Um, Let me just tell you, it is definitely not B. Those are the Beatles. They're great, but they are not the four major prophets. Um, And it looks like survey says... Um, that Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel is the correct answer. And about 44% of you said that, but 56%, I fooled you by throwing Samuel in there. He is not one of the four major prophets. (laughs) Sorry about that. But thanks for playing along. And we've got a few other questions. But Tammy's up here at the bookshelf. Tammy, what do you have out there at the bookshelf? Okay, so every week we try to go over our bookshelf. Remember, this is a representation that the Bible is a library. Right now, the bookshelf is only showing the Old Testament. And we talked about how the Bible is not necessarily organized chronologically. It is organized by genre. I've given you a chant to remember the, these different genres. And it is 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. Oh, some of you are saying it. I love it. Okay, so we're going to review what these genres are. First, we have the law, the first five books. Then these 12 books of history. We spent a couple weeks on those. Last week, we were in this section over here, which is poetry. This, today, we are in the major prophets right here. And finally, down here at the bottom are all of the minor prophets. And as you can see, this section, the major prophets and the minor prophets are all yellow because they are all prophecy and so similar genre. So I wanted to make mention of the 3 and 12. So in the video, this can be a little confusing. You just answered a poll question that there were four major prophets, right? And I'm going to read off these five books so you know what's in this section. You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And so Lamentations, not being one of the major prophets, I'll explain why it's in this section. So you said there was four. The video said there was three. So I'm going to explain this. Different faith traditions put different books in different orders in the Bible. So the Jewish Bible, they have three different sections. And one of the sections is the pro- is prophets or prophecy. And they put only three of these in there. They put Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel in there. And they include the other 12. So that's the three and 12. And really cool for the Jewish people, that three and 12 would have also represented would have reminded them of the three patriarchs and the 12 tribes. So the three and 12 is is important to them. Now, they still have Lamentations and Daniel in their 
share their book. They have it in a different section called writings. And so that's why you might hear some confusion. Daniel is still a prophet. And so in our Protestant Bibles, we consider him one of the major prophets. And then I also wanted to mention that all of the prophetic books, all of these are titled after the main prophet that is speaking within their text, except one book, and that's Lamentations. Okay. Thanks, Tammy. Back here to the lower stage. Now, I want to review some points on our timeline because we've been creating these timelines every single week, helping you understand the bigger picture of where these things happen in time. So here's our timeline right here from all the way from creation, Adam and Eve, all the way to today's date. And um, if you go to the next slide, Jared, for me, um, the prophets land in this time period right here, just before 1000 BC, all the way to 400 BC. And um, so let me show you one more slide we created to kind of give you a little bit more perspective on where these prophets all fall. So those little boxes represent these prophets. And you've got the United Unified Kingdom um, on your left. And you've got a couple prophets there, Samuel and Nathan. And then you have the whole group. And you've got Lamentations as well in there as well. So that gives you a little bit of an idea on where this fits in the big picture. So that just leads me to a polling question because I just, I'm enjoying this so much. We're learning how to use this and it is a really fun tool. Um, take a look at this question. What is the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets? You know, some ideas, minor prophets were in the minor leagues versus the major leagues. Major prophets were more well-known by the kingdom of Judah. Major prophets wrote longer books than the minor prophets. Minor prophets spent a lot more time digging. Minor, get it? Minor? Ah, okay, probably isn't that one. Okay, let's see. Let's see how we're doing here. Okay. All right, well... Apparently, I am a good quiz. I'm, I've fooled them again, yet again, because the majority of you, 60% say major prophets were more well-known by the kingdom of Judah, which actually might be true, um, but that's actually not the right answer. Tammy, tell us, what is the difference between major and minor prophets? So the correct answer is C, major prophets wrote longer books than the minor prophets. So in general, they just had more... What's the it's word? more material. Yeah, yeah, they're more voluminous. Well, yeah, voluminous. Yeah, voluminous. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So, sorry for throwing you a curveball. I'm <laughs> apparently failing on my test. Yes. So, quizzing. the only difference is really of the major and the minor prophets. They're all prophets that were speaking and important for us to study. Okay. So, I can bet that this is probably one of the least popular sections of the Bible. I bet not many of you are super familiar or super excited to read it. <laughs> and so we really, uh, our prayer is that you would want to read the whole Bible and see the value in all the different parts of it. And so we went over the what, we went over the why to even study them. So we're going to give you a little bit of the how. Now, if you are a beginner in all of this, just knowing those key concepts that the prophets were there as God's mouthpiece to do accusations and repentance, remind them of the day of the Lord, and also speak hope. You got the big picture. That's good. I'm going to be challenging you guys. It's a little more academic, but God told us to love, a, uh, love him with our minds too. So we're going to go there, and I'm going to get a little bit, um, we're going to be pulling out some charts and stuff. So Three key things that are good to know when you study the prophets, to know the history. What are those big things going on in history? This is where our timeline is helpful. 
Also knowing who they are speaking to. So who is the audience? And then knowing the biblical narrative. So what is the scripture that is explaining what's going on in the nation during that time to understand the message of the prophets? So scripture, a lot of times you're going to be reading out of that history section that we already went over, like First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. And then we have charts on our website, and we're going to use some of them today so you can see where you would even find the scripture references. So really neat, understanding history in the Old Testament sets you up really well for studying the prophets in the Old Testament. Just like in the New Testament, we want to study Acts, which is a church history book, before we study all the letters or while we're studying the letters, because then we understand what's going on and why they wrote the letters they did. The messages in the letters make a whole lot more sense if you understand the history, right? Just like the prophets and the messages of the prophets make a whole lot more sense if you understand the history. And so we're going to be modeling this when we walk through these prophets. Okay. Okay. I created another chart for us. It's got circles. I like circles. Okay. Here are the prophets arranged in categories. So United Unified Kingdom, Samuel and Nathan. Um, Samuel has a scroll that we call First and Second Samuel. We have a few prophets without books. They don't have books in this section, but they are talked about in First and Second Kings, and also in First and Second Samuel. Nathan, Elijah, and Elisha. Perhaps you've heard of those prophets. They're a really big deal and very fun to read about. Prophets to Israel, there was two, Hosea and Amos, but I would also argue that Elijah and Elisha also were prophets to Israel, even though they don't have their own books. You had prophets to Judah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Micah, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk. That's quite a few more. Why? Because, well, there were more good kings. The Lord held his hand of judgment back for longer on Judah, and they had more time to have more prophets. That makes sense. There were also prophets to other nations. Jonah and Nahum, they are prophets to Assyria. And Assyria is the bad guys. They're the ones that took over Israel, but God still has a heart to see them repent and come to him. And then Obadiah going to the nation of Edom. We have a few prophets during the time of exile, Ezekiel and Daniel. We'll talk about them in a minute. And then three that are during the time of the restoration of the temple and Jerusalem after 516 BC. That's Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So hopefully this is helpful for you to understand that there are different categories of these chaps and how they operate. Okay, so we're going to dive in. We're going to dive in with Isaiah. We're going to go a little out of order. We are going to do Isaiah, Jeremiah in order. We're going to skip over our lamentations and go to Ezekiel. So again, those covering those three big prophets that the, the Jewish would uh, consider. And then... Um, I'll talk about how Lamentations and Daniel are kind of like these outliers. Now, that does not mean they are less important in any way. They're just sometimes categorized differently, and so that's why we're going to go in that order. So, we're going to have some charts here coming, and yes, get your academic nerdy brain on, but you can do this, and it is really helpful. So, we wanted you to get familiar in the service with these because they're on our website, and I think it's really helpful to go and look at these when you're going to study the prophets. And so, on our website, under the Digging Deeper tab, there's different menu items, and it's the charts of the kings and the prophets. So this one focuses on the prophets, and it's great. It's showing you the different years, who the audience was, the key things going on in history at the time. 
And so I told you about how to study. We're going to look at history, audience, and biblical narrative, right? And so you would use a chart like this to see the time frame of the prophet, okay? There are two main dates I want to review with you off of our timeline, okay, that's going to help you. 722 BC, remember the bigger numbers are earlier in history when it comes to BC. That was the fall of Israel. And then you have 586 BC, that was the fall of Judah. If you can remember those two main things right now, it will help you when I'm talking about time frames. So you look at the chart and you would see, oh, Isaiah was prophesying around 760 to 673 BC. So what happened during that time? What was one of those key dates? What happened in 722? All of Israel. Yay. Okay. So we know that he was around during that time. The chart also shows you all the different kings that were. So he was prophesying while there were several different kings in power. The one that really should stand out to you is Hezekiah because two weeks ago, Andrew portrayed King Hezekiah. We love him. He's great. Isaiah was the one that encouraged Hezekiah. Hezekiah turned to the Lord and Judah, Judah and Jerusalem were spared. So really significant thing that happened under Isaiah's time. Who was Isaiah speaking to? So this is your audience. It's right there. It shows in that second column, and I know you don't have, can't see the whole chart, but that is their audience. So Isaiah is talking to Judah. On that circled chart showed there was a lot more prophets to Judah. Judah was around longer, and Isaiah is talking to them. So he's, um, Israel falls, but he's speaking to Judah. And then there's another chart and this is another one we have on the website. And this one is really showing the different kings and prophets. And it shows the scripture references that are good to read to understand the history that's going on. So if you can see with near Isaiah, there's that whole column of different scriptures you can read to understand that. So fun fact. I love this. Isaiah has 66 books. And they are divided with 39 and 27. 39 are about judgment. 27 are about hope and a coming Messiah. Where else do we see 66 books? In, in the, the whole Bible. Whole Bible. How many are in the Old Testament? 39. And a lot of those deal with judgment. How many are in the New Testament? And they deal with hope and a Messiah. So I, I love, for those of you who love numbers, so you'll great. love that thing. But I love the parallels that, that God does. So during Isaiah's lifetime, Judah was spared from falling to Assyria. But Isaiah does predict the fall of Judah. He predicts it about 100 years before it happens. He also, though, again, we look for those messages of hope. He promises a restoration to their land, and he looks even farther ahead to a coming Messiah. So some sources say that there are over 100 prophecies, 100 or more, in Isaiah talking about this coming Messiah. So again, that hope. And so some of these are probably very familiar to you. Isaiah 9-6, which we have a slide for this, read around Christmas a lot. Thank you, we even quoted that today. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then the next one about his crucifixion is from Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So even though a lot of hard things being said in Isaiah, some really great things too being said, of course, that have come to fulfillment. Jeremiah, the next book. I'm going to dive into that one too. 
Jeremiah, so we, I have charts on this one as well. We're going to do the charts one more time just to get you a little bit more familiar with them. So if I have this, there's a slide. Yep. There you go. So we put both of those different charts side by side this time. We see Jeremiah prophesied around 650 to 582 BC. What happened during that time? Fall of Judah. Judah. You guys are getting it. Okay, so we know that Judah fell 586 BC, so Jeremiah was a prophet during that time. Many kings reigned during his time as well, and they're listed there. One that should stand out to us is Josiah, because Josiah was the last good king in Judah, so Jeremiah is around during that time. All the other ones listed are all those final kings of Judah as well. Who is the audience? Jeremiah is speaking to Judah. So we saw the circle chart, a lot more prophets, and both Isaiah and Jeremiah are speaking to Judah. Just We have to realize several like, hundreds of years apart from each other. So, and then the scripture reference chart shows where we can read about it. We can read about in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles history that was going on at that time that helps us understand Jeremiah's message. So Jeremiah was a priest. He prophesied that Babylon would have victory over Judah, so he's calling the people to repentance. But he is mostly ignored and very poorly treated. Jeremiah had a rough life. He is known as the weeping prophet. He is grieved over Judah's sins and this coming judgment that he sees. And because his warnings were mostly unheeded, he is mourning for his rebellious nation. At the time, so he is actually around at the time of Jerusalem's fall. And he is carted off into exile into Egypt. But there is, this was something I learned this week. I had never heard this. It is rumored that Jeremiah may have hidden the Ark of the Covenant in a cave for safekeeping just before the Babylonians sacked the city of Jerusalem. Still don't know where that is. But yes, that is rumored to have happened with Jeremiah. We do know that he gave a 70-year prophecy about exile. So Jeremiah 25:11 says, This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. We talked about this in our history section that he had prophesied about this, and we do see that come true as well. Jeremiah has one of the best coffee mug verses in the world. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And it's interesting because oftentimes as Christians, we grab verses and we don't even have any idea what the context is. And the context here is that the people of God, of Judah, have been carted off into exile into Babylon. And so then there's a letter that the prophet Jeremiah sends from Jerusalem, because he's still in Jerusalem. It's before he goes off to Egypt. And he sends this letter and he says, there's some problems with some of these prophecies that you've got where they said you're going to be back in a year or two. And and what does the passage say? Let's just read it really quickly. Um, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says in verse four. Put that slide up there for me, Jared. Thank you. Um, To all those who carried in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Wouldn't you think he would say, uh, make sure you pack your bags because God's going to like get you right out of there? He's saying, no, settle down. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not increase. Verse 7. 
do not decrease. Verse 7, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Here, exiles, it would be really easy to say, pray for it to burn down and for them to have horrible lives. What is God saying? No, pray for the prosperity of your city. So into it, settle. It doesn't mean settle and compromise. It means be a meaningful part of your city, of your state, of your nation. Vote if you've got an opportunity as an exile. P.S., we are exiles living in a foreign world. We are not of this world. And so as exiles, that's the context for this verse. That even though things are really rough, God still has plans for us. He still had plans for his people. And part of that plan had to do with blooming where they were planting, planted, and praying for the city that they were a part of, that it would prosper. And I want to challenge you to do the very same thing. So we're going to move quickly. And let's move on to the book of Ezekiel. Tell us about this guy, because he is a major prophet. So Ezekiel, his time frame is similar to that of Jeremiah's. It's 620 to 570. So we know that the fall of Judah happened here. Um, So while Jeremiah was living down in Judah... Ezekiel actually was carted off to Babylon in exile in one of those first waves that happened. They were both priests, both Jeremiah and both Ezekiel, but Jeremiah was a priest living in Judah near the temple, and Ezekiel was not. He was in exile far away from the temple. His audience is the exiles in Babylon, and which is really good to know that God is still speaking. He is still raising up prophets who are speaking even when the people are in exile. So Ezekiel has an encounter with the Lord on his 30th birthday. Why does that even matter? Well, the, in the Jewish culture, those that were priests, they would have been installed as a priest on their 30th birthday. But he's in exile and he can't do this installation. He would have been looking forward to this and training for this his whole life. And God in his goodness gives him this vision of himself on that 30th birthday. And what does he see? He sees that God's throne is mobile, that it has wheels. And so if you guys might be singing, Ezekiel saw two wheels are rolling way in the middle of the air. If any of you know that one, it's a song I learned as a kid. And what are those wheels? Those wheels are attached to his throne that is mobile. The throne is leaving the building or it's leaving the temple. And he's showing Ezekiel that his throne does not have to stay in the temple. That was significant because they always saw the throne in the temple. They saw the Ark of the Covenant as the footstool of God's throne and where his glory dwelled. And they thought it had to stay in the temple. No, he showing Ezekiel, I can leave. And in fact, I'm coming to Babylon where you are in exile. And it was because Judah's idolatry. He was done and he was leaving. And he's saying, I'm in exile with you until a later time when my glory will return. So after Ezekiel has this vision, he is a priest turned prophet. He becomes a watchman. He is sounding the alarm For the nation, he's telling of the imminent destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, as well as God's judgment against the other nations. However, he promises a restoration, right? Always look for that message of hope. 
He says that God's people will return to the land, that there will be reconstruction of the temple, and that God will rule over all the nations of the earth. So one of my favorites, in fact, we would challenge you to read this this week, Ezekiel chapter 37, is when Ezekiel has this vision of the valley of dry bones. So he's over this this army as bones, and he sees them coming back to life. He's called to prophesy and call them back to life. And it's this beautiful, powerful representation that God is going to call the nation back out of captivity, and he is going to breathe his life back into his people. Okay, so let's talk about a little passage in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34. And to do that, let me show you a Lego build from our Lego art show, if you will, through the Bible. This is Hunter Smith's creation. Thank you, Hunter. This is Jesus, the Good Shepherd. And why would I mention Jesus when we haven't even got to him on the timeline? I'm really glad you asked because in Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord came to me. He says, son, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. These leaders of Israel that were called shepherds, they're doing a horrible job. He's like, I'm, they're done. They're, they're not shepherding my people well. And he says in verse 11, Ezekiel 34, 11, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look for them. Does that sound like Anyone that you might have heard of before in the New Testament? As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock and he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they're scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. So Ezekiel is giving this prophetic word about shepherds and sheep. And it's interesting, the prophets are so rich and deep. It's one of the reasons they're so hard to read for some of us because they talk about the past, They talk about the present. They talk about the present, near present, future, and then the far future. How do I explain this? Well, um, so let's go back in time. Genesis 48, verse 15, Jacob is on his deathbed. He says, "Um, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, may he bless you. So there it is, all the way back in Genesis. Moses has a 40-year career as a shepherd to prepare to be a leader of Israel, God is called himself a shepherd in Psalm 78, verse 52, but he brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the desert. We know about Psalm 23, for the Lord is my shepherd, right? Shall not be in want. And then, well, Isaiah 40, we just covered Isaiah 40, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs into his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those with young. Jeremiah 10, verse 21, a message to to the ones in exile. We just talked about Jeremiah. The shepherds have become stupid and have not sought the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered and all their flock is scattered. Jeremiah 31, 10 says, God is presently watching his flock. Micah 5, the, the Messiah, when he comes, will shepherd his flock. Zechariah 13, the sheep will be scattered when the shepherd is struck down. This is a fulfillment. This gets fulfilled in Matthew 26, when all of Jesus' uh, followers scatter when he's arrested. The angels declare Jesus' birth to who? Shepherds. Then Jesus, in Luke 15, he says, I go after the lost sheep. In John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd who takes care of the sheep. In Matthew 25, he says, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. Oh, by the way, that's a reference to Ezekiel. And then, last but not least, Jesus is glorified in heaven. Revelation 7, verse 17, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Shepherd. 
He will lead them to streams of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So here's Ezekiel, bam, he, he drops this word and it goes whoo, all of time before and all of time forever. That is the beauty of prophecy. Pretty excited about it. Okay, one more poll question. We're running out of time, but we've got to do this because it's just too much fun. Oh, okay, here we go. Who wrote the book of Lamentations? Who wrote the book of Lamentations? That's the question. Um, well, so far we got 100% correct on this one. The answer is... Jeremiah. Jeremiah. That's a pretty high, pretty high, yeah, 80, 83%, well, 83% or so right now. Good, good job, everybody. <laughs> so I had mentioned that, again, in the Jewish Bible, they do the 3 and the 12, and they consider Lamentations and Daniel, these outliers are actually in a different section of their Bible. But our Protestant Bibles put Lamentations in this major prophet section because it is associated with Jeremiah. So if you look at the order, you see Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, right? So right after Jeremiah. Book. However, honestly, we don't know for sure if Jeremiah wrote it. It's anonymous, but it is associated with him. Lamentations is also really different than all of these major prophets because it's more like a tiny book of psalms. It could be grouped together with both psalms and song of songs into a songbook little grouping. Uh, it, so what, are, what is being lamented in Lamentations? It's the fall of Jerusalem. So we talked about, if this was Jeremiah that wrote it, he was there for that fall and he was the weeping prophet, right? So if he did write it, he's lamenting. We do know regardless, it's about the fall of Jerusalem. But there is even hope in the middle of the book. God is faithful. He doesn't take pleasure in punishing his people. And so they are to look to him for the hope, hope for relief. It's a five-fold work like Psalms. It's an acrostic poem. So we talked about this. There is an alphabet poem. And what I love about Lamentations is it gives us permission to lament. So lament, it's a word that most of us don't understand. This is a commercial for signing up for my text line. If you text encourage to this number right here, you will get one of your first text messages from me. I've set it up right for after this service to link to the, the two podcast episodes that I did on lament. And I believe these are really powerful and really important for us as Jesus followers to understand what is lament. And so these are short. One is 10 minutes. I think the other one is eight minutes. So it's about 18 minutes of listening. But you'll really get um, a picture for how lament is supposed to work for us. We're going to save Daniel as a special treat for next week, and then we're also going to cover, cover him at the end of the book. So we'll say plenty about Daniel. So don't worry if you're taking notes and there's an empty spot for Daniel. We'll fill you in next week. But um, as we're closing, I just want to encourage you, read Jeremiah 29 in context this week and see where those verses are calling out to us and where they come from. And um, Next week, Minor Prophets, we're going to do a really great review of the entire Old Testament. You're not going to want to miss next week. And um, I just want to challenge you. We are living as exiles as well in this time, but God is still speaking. He never leaves us without a witness. He always is speaking if we're willing to listen. So our posture needs to be one of listening for what God is saying every day and every moment. And so if you'd stand with me. We're going to uh, close in prayer. Prayer team, if you'd come up, uh, there'll be folks down here to pray for you. We would love to pray for you. And as we close, I'm going to actually speak a blessing from Hebrews 13 over us. 
as a prayer. So now, may the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We bless you. Have a great week.